I remember I mean, we, back in back in the day we used to be the only fulfiller for Redbubble not just the first fulfiller and we were doing whole of world orders and shipping and obviously they're a little bit smaller then than they are now but um, yeah we, I remember manhandling box frames into these large uh, kind of UPS white bags that would take two people to carry to a, to a courier van that they were then driven directly to the airport in Melbourne for dispatch uh, to the US or the UK or wherever they were heading off uh, and the rush to get those out in time for Christmas orders and and um, it was uh, interesting to see the um, the price at the bottom of the UPS manifest each day. Uh, more than what it cost to purchase the, the single item or uh, something like that? Uh, you would count it in kind of, you know, the number of times more that it was, yeah. I, I'm, told, I'm told that the price that showed on that was actually the list price and there was a significant discount, but um, yeah, it certainly, you would have been happy to get paid that much, yeah. <laughs> Michael at HC Pro in Horsham the first Redbubble supplier. Global from Melbourne might not have been the cheapest way to go initially, but it's paid dividends in the long run. This episode, the experience of creating, building and remaining in Melbourne, Australia. One early benefit of Redbubble starting up and scaling in Victoria, Michael and the print shop are only a few hours drive away should something need extra attention. We certainly, we had some, um uh, some products early on where some changes uh, through the system uh, really gave us a bottleneck uh, and uh, I think a big Christmas push at the same time and and I think uh, effectively half of the Redbubble office packed up and came up here to lend a hand and just help push some orders through. Uh, I think they even took back, um, they had a pretty good Melbourne following of artists in those days as well um, who were kind of uh, part of the direct Redbubble community, not just the online community. And, um, and so there was orders that were taken back for those guys uh, from here that they got to make. But that's a fantastic experience in learning how stuff is made and what's important when you're either selling it, describing it, or providing, you know, what's an expectation, how, what, what price it should be, but also how long it should take to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we had, we would have uh, doubled our, our production team for Redbubble with the Redbubble gang back in the day which is again you know one of those double-edged swords because you're in a rush and you're not skilled at that process it doesn't necessarily go smoothly but but uh, it was certainly fun. I can be corrected and feel free to correct me if you want. Uh, I, I think we're the largest global consumer internet company to have come out of Australia. Those adjectives are important. Martin Hosking at Startup Grind Australia and thanks to Startup Grind for letting us use that bit of audio. Largest global consumer internet company to come out of Australia. Together they add up to a pretty impressive string of adjectives. This is Scale Up from Launch Vic. I'm Courtney Carthy. Check out Launch Vic if you're either thinking, starting or running a business in Victoria or if you want to learn more about the ecosystem here, they're the best place to start. LaunchVic.org or on your socials. Redbubble was founded by three people in the inner Melbourne suburb of Fitzroy, grew into Collingwood, a neighbouring suburb with a notable football team 
then expanded into Flinders Street, pretty much opposite where Federation Square is today, and then settled on Collins Street in an old bank building not far from Melbourne's financial district. These days, globally, it's about 200 people with more than half in the Melbourne office. This is where the technology team was recruited, much like Culture Amp in season one, and betting down here seems to be going very well. Listing off other big Australian startups, Martin again at Startup Grind. We've had some really great, Australia's had some great uh, B2B success stories. Uh, you know, Atlassian out of Sydney, Aconex or Mincom out of Brisbane in the past, you know, those on the global sales. Um, We've also had some very big successful domestic companies, Seeks and REAs and car sales, to name just a few. What we haven't come, got out of Australia is global consumer companies, internet companies. Um, and right now Redbubble at sort of, you know, over, well over 10 million visits a month and the scale of sales which I'm talking about, I think that does position us as the largest global consumer internet company to have come out of Australia. Redbubble, global from the start, global from Melbourne, was something that hit Andrew Moss quickly. Post-global financial crisis and not long after Martin took over from Peter Stiles as CEO, he was hired to do the branding, which also meant talking to customers, the on-the-ground work to discover what the company is to people. You know, it's not, it's not often you come across a, a company and they say, well, you know, really to talk to our customers, you need to go to the States, uh, which is what we did. We went to San Francisco and we sp spoke to people. We went to Portland and Oregon and, and spoke to people. It wasn't about, you know, going to the outer suburbs of, of Sydney or Melbourne to speak to their customers. And that was a, uh, yeah, that, 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 that made a, a big impression of me about really what this company was about uh, quite, quite early on, I think. They've been based in, in the centre of Melbourne for basically since foundation and various addresses, but it'll never move very far from where we are now. It's Ivor Rees, and I'm an analyst uh, that covers the online media and technology sectors for Morgan's Financial. Morgan's Financial helped take Redbubble public, listing it on the ASX. More of that in the next episode. If you're not global from the start, or if you've got a business that wants to go global, Ivor mentions a risk to understand and one that's applicable to both. Well, I've got to say, um, my first meeting, I was quite sceptical because I, I knew just how hard it was to build any kind of global business from Australia, um, especially if you didn't have a huge business base in Australia. I mean, at that stage, you know, their revenues were still considerably less than $20 million a year. So they didn't have like a big local revenue base to help them grow internationally. So they were doing things in the wrong order and they were growing internationally without a big base uh, in Australia. It raises questions because you've, you've got to ask yourself, um, you know, can this company survive the ups and downs if they don't have a big domestic business that's producing a lot of profit? Uh, like the typical tech company that we cover will have established quite a decent-sized business in Australia and be generating profits here. And, and so therefore, for them to go international, it's um, not a life or death matter. And, and they can, you know, they can grow the business and know that um, even if things don't go well overseas, you've still got the Australian businesses making profits. Whereas that was not the case with Redbubble. They, you know, they live or die on what they do internationally. Early on, losses from printing everything in Horsham weren't sustainable. Ivor explains how they had to, and not just had to because it was better, but had to because the business probably wouldn't survive had to. Redbubble had to get suppliers around the world to satisfy not only the growing product range, 
but importantly, the customer's expectations. Ivor here also has some great insights into the banking structure Redbubble has created. To summarize that quickly, Redbubble has a few companies around the world that handle transactions and patriate that money when invoices are paid to Australia. Uh, ideally, what they're trying to do is uh, um, deliver a T-shirt to you in three days. Uh, and the only way they're going to deliver that T-shirt to you in three days is if they can produce it locally. There's no way you can produce a T-shirt in Melbourne and ship it to to somewhere in the middle, middle of the United States and have it there in three days. You've got to have a local fulfiller. So when you've got when you're below a certain size, you can't have local fulfillers everywhere. Now they're at a size where the business has, you know, got major turnover. They can have fulfillers locally um, in all those countries and they can deliver in, in, in three days. So, um, so what that means is when you get to that point, your production cost in that country, like it's in Europe, it's in euros. So your revenue's in euros and your production cost is in euros. So what it means is the only thing which has to be translated back into Australia is the profit, which is in their case, let's say 10 or 15 cents in the dollar. So, you know, when they were selling in Europe and they had no production there, they were horribly exposed to movements in the euro versus the Australian dollar. But now when they've got a match between production and the revenue, what that means is the, the bit that's swinging around, if I can put it that way, in the currency is much smaller than it used to be. Mm. And um, that will continue to grow over time. Um, and um, But they also, I mean, they, they have an active program of, of using financial hedges and whatever to try and minimise any kind of swings from that. But certainly having produ local production is the key to avoid being massacred. Yeah. Mm. So they've got, they've got, just if we can go through it practically, they've got an account that they pay and receive in that local area or in that yeah. country. Yeah. And then once a quarter they, you know, do the sums and whatever comes out the bottom they take back to Australia. That's correct. And how do you, how do you, is there like, uh, and forgive my ignorance, but are there computer programs that, that manage this that are sort of out of the reach of, you know, people on the street that, you know, will help you out getting all of this done? You know, like, what does that sort of look like when somebody sits down to actually do the work that facilitates that movement? Well, I think um, in their case, I mean, they'll be relying heavily on their banks to do that for them. Yeah. And they would know, they would know roughly... Um, you know, um, in any forward six-month period, what their sales in Germany are going to be in, in euros, and they would know what their costs are going to be. So they would know what the gross profit is um, in that period, and so they they know that really um, uh, there's a there's a, a certain element of that that's at risk because of the currency fluctuating. So they can go to a bank and get some sort of cover some sort of derivative product that can cover that exposure or they may just decide it's just not big enough to worry about yeah. um but yeah most companies like redbubble would be having a couple of banks that'd be advising them on this um and you know there's there comes a point when you just have to admit that you know you're not really a foreign currency specialist you're a specialist in running an art marketplace and focus on that and just let let bankers worry about currency and, and, and take advice from them. And I'm pretty sure that's what they do. Mm -hmm.
there's a great company in, 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 in Melbourne called Envato, which is a, it's, a, it's a leader in selling WordPress themes. It sounds like a small business, it's not, it's huge actually. It's pretty big, not listed, never taken funding, but is routinely appreciated as a Victorian success story. I spoke to Envato's CEO, Collis Taid, about Redbubble and asked him about founding and keeping their business in Melbourne been based out of Melbourne uh, for a long time now and I think uh, for at points in our history I would find myself thinking maybe we should be in the US because you're supposed to be in the US I think I feel like I've read that a lot and um, so we got to the point where we con contemplated it quite um, seriously uh, especially as we were setting up a US subsidiary uh, uh, for the purposes of taking payments and uh, being able to back our payments by uh, US merchant accounts so that you get like less credit cards getting declined, for example. Anyhow, so we were already setting up a company. We have some US staff. We're like, maybe we should go and set up like an office in the Valley. Um, and so we sent a couple of uh, Envadors over there and I started reaching out to people like Martin to say, so what's it like? And broadly walked away with the feeling that it's very expensive um, um, you're paying essentially for a lot of rent, even in the sense that you pay higher salaries because the people you're paying salaries to need to spend it on rent or or the cost of living. <laughs> that uh, um, And there's a lot of talent there, but the competitiveness for that talent makes it maybe not that much better to try to find talent here. Um, all seem to add up to why why would you do this to yourselves especially remembering that we don't need funding we don't have uh, big enterprise customers so we're not like Coltramp who are specifically targeting other companies who have head offices uh, in a particular area um, so it would it would literally just be setting up there because it seems fashionable <laughs> for a really stupid reason, basically, so we didn't do it. <laughs> One thing that Collis mentioned was people questioning the accessibility of talent outside California. Uh, generally, uh, Melbourne, there's tons of talent. Like, uh, they, for a long time, I used to get asked, why aren't you in the US? Isn't that where the talent is? Which is like... It just always seemed a little weird, like like the, like the twenty million Australians had no talent. It's like I think there's plenty of talent here, and I think we are um, we have a lot of uh, um, uh, strong skills in, in in software engineering in particular. If there was a area that uh, occasionally it's been harder to find people in, it's more in uh, online marketing to non-Australian markets because um, uh, there's a lot of startups in Australia that focus on Australian customers. There are fewer that are trying to acquire customers from global markets. But even that, you can find, like, there's, there's a lot of um, top-shelf businesses these days. So, yeah, talent's never been a thing. We've never taken funding. Um, being in the city, I think, has, has been nice. I love it. I'm obviously not... Well, I think I'm obviously not from Australia originally. Um, whenever I talk to international people, I'm always like, I'm the worst Australian you're going to speak to. <laughs> but I promise you, we will bring you more Australians to actually communicate with. Um, but I am a card-carrying Australian in that I am a citizen. <laughs> oh, great. So, oh, where are you from? Uh, I was uh, born in England, actually, um, but I'm half Iranian. I grew up in Papua New Guinea. If you know Melbourne, you'll know how multicultural it is. The gold rush in the 1850s helped get plenty of people here from China and Greece, among others. Being an English-speaking country, the most livable city in the world for at least five years, has also helped. 
before Vienna overtook us in 2018, not to mention the high number of international students filtering through the local universities. One thing about Melbourne or Victoria is the sheer number of online marketplace businesses here. Redbubble and Vato and close to 190, maybe more, others counted by a study that LaunchVic undertook. There's a link to that in the show notes, by the way. Martin also mentioned a few big ones, Seek and REA that runs realestate.com.au. For Kate Cornick, CEO of LaunchVic, Redbubble is a standout. Because it's a marketplace that's done so well in a business that is... um, very creative. It's leveraging Victoria's creative arts and um, creativity, um, but is also leveraging the marketplace skills. And I think it's a really special business that is proudly Victorian. And certainly from a Launch Vic perspective, we're very proud that they are Victorian. When I took on this job at Launch Vic, I had worked in a startup uh, and led a startup, but I hadn't engaged in the startup ecosystem. And it was amazing how many of our companies I was completely unaware of and I thought maybe that was me. Then I went and talked to people and said, are you aware of these companies? And they are also unaware. So there is an issue where we need to raise the profile of our more successful companies. And that includes Redbubble, it includes CultureAmp, it includes Invato, it includes other businesses that are coming through and and successfully raising money, growing at a rapid rate. And if you look at our superstars in our, you know, who are the celebrities that uh, we celebrate? As you mentioned, they are sporting heroes. Um, here are celebrities um, that are unknown that have created many jobs they've built products that are making many people's lives happy they're absolutely exemplary showcases of victorian innovation of victorian business now they are promoting what's wonderful in australia on a global basis because they're global businesses Um, yet their founders are you know, often not widely known and, and you will talk to people and they'll say, who's that person? <laughs> and you say, well, they're, they're what we want everybody else to be. <laughs> Every other founder, we want to be as successful. Um, and so I think there is absolutely a, a way for these these businesses to and, and business founders and business leaders to, to be celebrated and be to, to be able to enable them to have greater recognition through the community. Um, I, I do think there is something about a Herald Sun test. I think if the Herald Sun is interested, they're reaching an audience that is probably not the audience that we're reaching when we go and do our communications at Launch Vic. And um, I think that goes to a broader issue of innovation being seen as being something that is something to be wary of for a lot of members of our community. It's seen as the reason why jobs are lost. It's the reason auto manufacturing is closing. It's the reason energy um, uh, precincts are, like in, in Gippsland are, are struggling and many people have lost their jobs. And without a doubt, innovation does play that role. But I think what we also have to do is talk about how these new generation companies are coming in and creating a future. They are creating jobs. They're creating incredible revenues. They're showcasing our state and our nation to the world. And they are actually creating jobs. One of the things that we discovered in our report is that there are 88,000 jobs coming out of the digital marketplaces in Victoria. What a phenomenal number of jobs that have been created by these businesses that have been entirely um, grown off the hard work and dedication of the founders, the teams behind them, and also the investors. Despite the saturation of broad to niche marketplaces in Victoria, there's not a whole lot of public awareness 
outside the job and real estate platforms, much like Russell Greenwood breaks down his experience when he tells people he works at Redbubble. 60% of the time they think that we're Red Balloon and then we sell V8 supercar hot laps. Uh, and about 30% of the time they don't know what it is and the 10% of the time it's usually people who go, yeah, I've got work on Redbubble. For those unfamiliar, hot laps are a turn in a racing car around a racetrack and Red Balloon is another online marketplace specialising in experiences. Founded in Sydney back in 2001 by Naomi Simpson, you might have seen her as one of the sharks on Australian Shark Tank. Back to Kate though, and the statistics beg the question, why is starting an online marketplace business so popular in Melbourne and Victoria? People here are obviously good at it, but that doesn't exactly explain why. That's actually a question we wanted to know the answer to because we saw all these marketplaces, Seek, REA, Domain, Redbubble, um, all doing really, really well. And we wanted to understand what is it that's making Melbourne really great at digital marketplaces because we, we have got three unicorns in the space um, and we are doing incredibly well. Um, I think a big part of it is the talent that has been generated. And if you look at successful ecosystems, you see the role of a unicorn, not only as being the role model of what everybody aspires to be, but they're creating and upskilling a huge number of people to help that unicorn reach a billion dollar company. And so what we're seeing is some really fantastic product people, people that deeply understand marketplaces, people that understand double-sided marketplaces in our ecosystem. And so that's helping to strengthen what is ultimately a virtuous cycle of people coming into a business, upskilling themselves, perhaps going off and creating new businesses, perhaps creating um, some wealth through equity and employee share schemes that they're then reinvesting back into the ecosystem. So we don't quite know why Seek REA Domain way back when became so successful other than the fact that they're very well managed businesses. Why are we better at marketplaces than we are in other areas um, is, is still a bit of a mystery. But nevertheless, we can say that Melbourne is particularly good for the size of our ecosystem at producing these phenomenal businesses. And I think that's really exciting for our community. Despite all the success that the ecosystem is well aware of, there hasn't been the cut through for these success stories to break into the mainstream conversation of our state. We're good at doing, but not as good at talking about ourselves like some of the Silicon Valley leaders. I think there is a role model and a cultural issue thing going on here. And um, we haven't celebrated our successes very well. Melbourne um, is a uh, the, the Melbourne ecosystem is on fire right now. It is growing at a rapid rate. We're the fifth fastest ecosystem in the world for our stage right now. So the fifth fastest growing ecosystem in the world, which is extraordinary. Um, what we don't do is shout from the rooftops about our successes. We have five unicorns in Melbourne right now, which is more than any other city in Australia, but we don't celebrate that. We don't have um, role models like you see in the States that are so proactively self-promoting. Our, our top founders are incredibly humble, smart business people that are absolutely contributing back to the ecosystem, but they're not putting themselves in a position of being that loud, outward, self-promotional type. So I think there is an issue where we are not celebrating our tall poppies, and I think we need to do more of that. 
most commonly covered by the most mainstream media in Victoria tends to be headlines of million dollar valuations or the shutting down of a company that's overpromised. Behind the curtain is a world-class ecosystem that's progressively maturing, though one thing that remains ever difficult in Australia, not that it's easy anywhere, but here, anecdotally, it's rather tough, is raising capital. Martin was able to raise a chunk of money to put in the brand new Redbubble bank account early on, and he admits that's rare. Chair of Redbubble, Richard Causey, lays out the drudgery of the process. If you expect raising capital to be easy in in this part of part of the world, you're nuts. I mean, it, some people may be able to get funded, and they may get multiple term sheets. I think they're just the fantasy stories that are that that um, you know sell sell column inches. Um, the reality is that you know the, the data that I've seen, uh, successful raises on average take a hundred calls. Yeah. Right? So it is. It is demoralising. That's where uh, you know the, the quote about it's not an issue of you can find detractors wherever you walk. Finding the supporters is actually that's that's the measure of success, and you may have to speak to a lot of people to find a supporter. Yeah. And you've got to be up for it. You know, an awful lot of people just expect to send to send a pitch deck which is which is confused and incoherent or paints a ridiculous picture of success and people will invest money uh, and that just invariably doesn't happen. Add to that? I think we, we do need to just have a bit of a dose of reality. We're a very small economy. We, we're a very wealthy economy for our, on a per capita basis, but we're small. So business models that are focused merely on Australia are likely to be of small size. So global ideas, globally scalable ideas, don't appear every day. So the the uh, so that means it's a, it's actually a, it's likely to be a smaller ecosystem here. You know, in the United States, you're going after. Uh, there are a number of business plans that I saw uh, from from uh, Silicon Valley, where their whole validation and getting to a reasonable scale business was California. You know, they weren't even talking about getting to the United States. So, you know, whereas Australia with 25 odd million people, it's actually a small market. Yeah, yeah. And if you're in the tech sphere, and particularly if you're scaling something like SaaS plays or platform as a service or marketplaces, they need to be immediately global. Redbubble's been so very Melbourne that it's hard to imagine it somewhere else. For financial reasons, the idea of moving it somewhere else was once considered. Richard Causey again. At one stage, we did play whether it was going to be a US company, and we we had some advice that we should, uh, um, uh, you know, to raise capital, we should move to the United States. Um, that was that's the reason. The overall, oh, that that was the advice then. Um, and I do think it's important that. There's no reason why Australia can't have globally companies of global scale um, outside of mining and you know, our banks are parochial, most of our organisations are, uh, are, are narrow, but we've got some companies that are truly doing this on a global stage. There's no reason why um, we, we, Australia cannot have companies of scale on a global, global stage. Uh, Redbubble, we, we would like it to be one. 
There's so much more to the Melbourne startup ecosystem and there's a wealth of information about it on the LaunchVic website, launchvic.org or find LaunchVic on your socials. They're hard at work on the infrastructure to keep Victoria as, like Kate Cornick said, Melbourne in the global top five cities for growth in the activation stage for startups. And the report mentioned the review of Melbourne digital marketplaces and the startup ecosystem report released in Q1 of 2018 are available in the show notes too, so check them out. Do let us know what you think of Scale Up by leaving a review or sharing the show on Twitter or Facebook. Next episode is the final in this series and we're going to go out ringing the bell at the Australian Stock Exchange. Redbubble had been preparing to go public for years before the event in late May 2016. Hard to make it a medium story because it's sort of, it's, you know, what's the, the takeaways from it are that it is an incredible amount of work and it's very hard to do. Probably inflicted pretty severe damage on a lot of their competitors, so their competitors weren't in a mood where they were happy to talk to us. But it was quite a, you know, big moment for the Australian tech scene because at the time Redbubble was listing, we'd also just had Afterpay and WiseTech, so it was this sort of rush of listings at that time. Okay, um, Redbubble's gone public and your shares are this and you have this much money. And I just sat there and I went, are you serious? That's all next episode. Thanks for listening to Scale Up from LaunchVic.